0: Welcome to the podcast of Trinity Presbyterian Church in Owasso, Oklahoma. Our passion is to show that grace changes everything in Jesus Christ by equipping you to rest in worship, grow in community, and rediscover your calling. To join our body in financial support of this ministry, visit our website at TrinityOwasso.com. If you have a Bible, please open it with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We're in a series going through the book of Corinthians verse by verse, and we come now to chapter 13. Would you please stand for the reading of God's word? In your text, is only uh, your bulletin is only printed the first three verses, but I'm going to read all of the chapter. There's 13 verses. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all that I have and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but I have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. is love. The grass withers and the flowers fade but God's word stands forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Please. We're studying 1 Corinthians. It's an ancient book that was written in the middle of the 1st century, and today we come to chapter 13. Now, when I was a boy in my church, there was uh, my minister asked a question, uh what is this chapter also known as? And I'll never forget Lindsay Norman and Ruth Brown, two girls in our youth group, said the love chapter. <laughs> they obviously had, had read it before. I had never read it. But then I began to see this everywhere. Hallmark cards, posters, Every wedding I went to from that point on in my life I think I've heard some reference to this chapter funerals we've heard this I mean we hear this this chapter all the time it's probably what would you say maybe the third most famous part of the bible behind what psalm 23 the lord the lord is my shepherd and maybe the lord's prayer <laughs> it's an incredibly popular passage but what's interesting about this passage is, is when you, you look at it, and you read it, perhaps for the first time, you feel like it's just like, it's, just, it's filled with, with sentimentality. But if you're a Corinthian in the first century, and you heard Paul's letter read out to you out loud, it would be anything but sentimental. It would be a thunderclap of rebuke. It would be a bombshell. It would be a stunner. It would be like a defibrillator to your mind and to your heart. Because Paul, in addressing obstacles to gathered worship, notice where in the context 1 Corinthians 13 lies. The the verse just before it says what? Earnestly desire the higher gifts. And the verse right after chapter 13 says earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. So Paul is writing this in the context of spiritual gifts. And why? Paul's point is that love is the key. So I want us to look at the context I want us to look at the thunderclap that this passage would have been for the early church and also for us, and then I want to help us think about our own community all right first the context this this verse this chapter is part of a letter and letters have stories and so if you're going to understand the letter you have to understand the story the context remember the Corinthians the the early church that that Paul helped plant and then six years later he comes back and he writes this letter to them because in the intervening six years I mean the the Corinth was not that old it was like a young church plant about Trinity's age relatively speaking and already they had these enormous divisions in their church. They had favorite preachers that they liked. They were divided over the role of sex and marriage. They were, they, were, they were a total distraction in worship because the rich were bringing their, you know, their, um, their etouffee and their merlot. And they were drinking it early and getting drunk by the time the poor could get off of work and get to worship. And they didn't have anything left to share with them in the Lord's Tupper. And then they had these gifts, these amazing gifts. People using these incredible gifts, prophetic powers, miracles were being done. And in the midst of all of that, Paul unloads this. And Corinth is a very, very interesting place. You know, Corinth was a city that about fifty years or so before this was totally destroyed. It was totally destroyed. In 146, 200 years, 146 BC, the uh, Corinthians rebelled against Rome. And so the emperor sent a garrison into Corinth and just demolished the city, destroyed it, completely destroyed it. And for 100 years, this land lay fallow to all the Greeks to recognize what happens when you rebel against Mother Rome. And Julius Caesar, 100 years later, about 46 B.C., he saw a good thing. He knew a good thing when he saw it, and he said that piece of land needs to become another place that we get going again because it was on a four-mile isthmus between northern and southern Greece, and you could either sail all the way around the southern peninsula of Greece, which is hundreds and hundreds of miles, or you could take ships, and you could use logs, and you can, like a conveyor belt, pull those ships across land four miles Portage them across, and you could save tons of time. So the economic um, opportunities were massive for Julius Caesar, and so he sent a Roman garrison to that city. And into that city, eventually, tradesmen came, first with the shipping industry, and then others came. And Corinth became a city with no native population. It became a city where people were moved because of new job opportunities. It became a place where if you lived in the rural areas of Greece, you came into Corinth in order to have a job. In some ways, it reminds us a little bit of Tulsa. People in the small towns of Oklahoma moving close. People from far away who see the opportunities of Tulsa and of Oklahoma for whatever reason, moving from great distances. This This is Corinth in 46 B.C. And so 100 years later, when Paul starts this church, it's a thriving community, this economic engine, and it's exploding with growth. Now, Corinth is very much like Tulsa in some ways. And I wonder what Paul might say to us if he were writing a letter to Trinity. Because this letter is a thunderclap. And if you're going to see the thunderclap, you have to understand the context in the story. But let's hear what Paul is trying to say. What's the thunderclap? What's the bombshell? What's the stunner of this passage? My son is learning how to drive, and um, he can he can we can tell you we've talked to all you know about about the car why the car works why you need gasoline in the car where the spare tire is how to change it we're gonna get there we're not there yet we're gonna get there. Um, uh, how the oil works and why you need oil in the engine he can tell you all about the seats and he can tell you how many people can fit in the seats he can show you his permit but there is a crucial tool that is necessary for him to actually begin to drive and what is that tool that turns the crank of that car? Ah, that's Paul's point. Paul is saying in this passage that you can have all the gifts in the world. You can desire to go wherever you want. You can use your gifts and yet not get anywhere because love is the key. Where is that in the text? Well, notice that Paul argues from the lesser to the greater. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith as to remove mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. And if I give away all that I have, and if I deliver my body to be burned, if I pay the ultimate price... Of martyrdom, but have not love. I gain nothing. Paul's point is to remind them that you can have all of these gifts and you can even demonstrate miraculous powers and not know Jesus. Well, wait a minute, Pastor, how is that possible? Jesus says in Matthew. Balaam in the book of Numbers was called wicked more than once. And yet God used Balaam to be of his voice to the world. King Saul was empowered by the spirit, it says even, to do amazing things. And yet, did he know the one true God? He did not have faith. Who is a famous example of this in the New Testament? Judas. Who was with Jesus and learned at his feet and yet received the morsel of God's wrath from the hands of the Lord and then went out when he turned Jesus in? One of Jesus' own disciples had the gifts, but not the change of nature. Uh, Jonathan Edwards, uh, one scholar, uh, Jonathan Edwards wrote a series of, of, of sermons on 1 Corinthians 13 called Charity and Its Fruits. He wrote them to his Northampton Church between April and October of 1738. And one scholar says it is the only, in fact it's probably the best display of expositional preaching in all of Edwards. He actually didn't preach expositionally. Except in 1 Corinthians 13. And so I'm reading these sermons over the course of this next month as we look at this chapter just to feed my heart. And one of the things that Edwards says is Edwards says that the spiritual gift does not require a change of heart. It does not require a change of nature, but to be truly used, to be truly a spiritual gift, it has to be changed by love. Spiritual gifts don't boot off of love. Spiritual gifts are the fruit of love. And unless you give your heart to him, friends, you can put on all kinds of behavior. You can change and you can proclaim God's word. Even Satan knows God's word. You can do everything that is talked about in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 about speaking in tongues or about using prophetic powers. But if you have not had a change of nature... You are nothing, it says. Well, we know this from our own experience, don't we? Because are only Christians gifted in powerful ways? No, of course not. We've already seen examples of that. Balaam, King Saul, Judas. You see this in your own life. Are, is it only Christians who can be incredibly warm and kind and tender? No. Oh, think about what the world would be like if it was only Christians who could demonstrate that kind of Christian ethic. If the world would be a, a horrible place. Of course there are other people who can demonstrate these things. But the gifts alone are a dead grace and the spiritual gifts must be the fruit of a changed nature of love. Love is the key. That is Paul's point. The Puritan John Flavel one time said, Sin in the reign and power of it may Cohabit the most excellent natural gifts under the roof within a man. A man may have the tongue of an angel and the heart of a devil. <laughs> the learned Pharisee were but painted sepulchres. Gifts are but as a fair glove drawn over a foul hand for one who has not met the one who is love. Notice that the quote for the preparation for worship today uh, comes from Edwards, and in the front of the bulletin it says that divine love, namely charity, it's an old word for this kind of love. Charity is not a philanthropic act; it is another word for love. It is the end of which all the inspiration and all the miracles which ever were in the world—they are but the means. Charity is a grace which cherishes and promotes the exercise of all other graces. In other words, how do you demonstrate your gifts? You have to turn the crank. How do you turn the crank? The key of it is love. And miraculous gifts, though usually given to Christians, they are not necessarily only given to Christians. They are given to Christians in a special way when they are connected with their savior of course their gifts are in living they're strengthened but we all know people who are incredibly gifted who don't know the lord some of you if i ask you to raise your hand to tell me do you ever have you ever known a minister of the gospel who's preached for for years and been incredibly gifted in the way that he could speak before people who actually in the end turned away and did not know god at all confessed to not know him yes And that's one of the reasons why one in five of your neighbors on your street are turning away from the church. Because the church has put so much behavioral pressure to conform to certain ethics without having the key that turns the crank. And that key is the Lord himself. His presence, who, as Nathan read earlier, is love. For God is love. And so I just want to, I just want to, I want you to hear the thunderclap that Paul would write. He would say to the Corinthians, I see your amazing gifts. I see your tongues, I see your prophetic powers. I see how much you are, I mean, you are are doing it, man. You are cranking it out. The church is exploding, but you don't have love. And it's all for nothing if you don't have him because it's not about you. Spiritual gifts are the fruit of a change of nature in the heart They're a fruit. They overflow because of Jesus, because of what he's done for you. And if he is not the driving nature of your heart, then you can demonstrate these fruits, or these these, uh, gifts in your natural aptitudes. But ultimately, they will be like a clanging gong or a clashing cymbal. The sound will end. And the Lord will say, I don't know you. Now, the context, the thunderclap. The thunderclap is that you can have all these gifts and still miss it. You have to have love. So let me just talk about our community here for a second. There are some extraordinarily gifted people in this church. And it is humbling to be part of the church, much less to lead it as the pastor with such extraordinarily gifted people. And it's beautiful to watch you use your gifts. It's wonderful. It's wonderful. And one of the key ways that Satan uh, subtly helps us get distracted is he says, you know what? You're valuable to this church to the degree that you have these gifts. So, elder, deacon, leadership teams, lead a committee, And you begin to think about your effectiveness in ministry in proportion to your gifts. But don't you see? That's exactly the opposite of what Paul's trying to tell you to do. It is not your giftedness. It is his presence and the change of nature in your heart. Who cares what your gifts are if you have not love? You are a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. You are like those who would go to the temple of Aphrodite. You would walk the 900 feet north of Corinth and you would go worship Aphrodite and they would bang a gong as they went into the temple to scare away the evil demons and to wake up the gods so they could worship. That's what you're like. It is tempting if you're a leader and you're very gifted. It's very tempting for you to hit that gong to get God's attention. Look at me, Jesus, look at me. Like, I, I am selling out for you. Do you know how early I got up to drive trucks? Do you know how much I worked to set up on Sunday? Do you know how much planning we did for the brunch that's about to happen? Jesus, don't you know how many session meetings I've attended? I mean, leader, sometimes when you listen to sermons, you're like, oh, I'm so glad so-and-so is here to hear this. No, this is for you, leader. You do the exact same thing that Paul says not to do. You take pride in your gifts, and he says, if you have not loved. The other dynamic, if you're a leader, is this: that you 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 say, "Man, but love is what keeps you going. It gives you grit, which is true. It helps you push through when it gets hard. That's that's true. It does." And then you see verses like, "If I have given away all I have, if I have given up my husband to do set up, his body to be burned, if I have given up my." family because of deacon meetings or session meetings, if I have delivered up my body to be burned, if I've burned out, if I've given everything I have, I've burned out, but have not love. I am nothing. And leaders, unless you see this passage, what this passage gives you the freedom to do, you will not feel content in the arms of your Savior to be able to say, you know what, it's not time to work harder, it's actually time to take a break. And this passage gives you the strength to be able to do that because it's not about your gifts. Don't measure your value to Christ's body by the effectiveness of your gifts. Measure your value to Christ's body by your contentment resting in him, his love. Are you with me? There are other people in this church who would say, Oh, I'm not that gifted. And you don't mean to do this, but you kind of walk in and compare yourself to other people and you say, "Well, wow, this person played that role in my former church, I guess they're that for this church. And, then, and, you, and maybe you're really quiet. Like maybe you don't have, um, you know, speaking gifts or leadership gifts uh, that seem to be applauded in the church. And, and you begin to go, hmm. you know, I'm just not much. You're doing the same thing that Paul says not to do because it's not about your gifts. Don't measure yourself in, part, in light of your gifts. Whether you overemphasize your gifts or you undervalue who you are, Paul says the key to it is love. What would it be like? What would it be like if you lived a life of faithfulness for 50 years in this church and you just quietly prayed for those who were up front leading. That was, your, that was what you did and nobody really knew your name but every time people were with you they were like, oh man, they are so kind and patient and warm. They're so loving. There's a third kind of uh, person in this church and that's the person who hears a, a sermon on love and, and goes, huh, that's interesting. Yeah, love. How do you get that? And what's interesting about 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and we're going to spend several weeks on it, is that notice that Paul never defines what love is. He never defines what love He describes it. And notice it's not a command. It doesn't say, the way we normally read it is, to be loving you must be patient. It's not what it says. To be loving, you must be kind. To be loving, you must not envy or boast. Notice, it always says love is. Love is, love is, love is, love is. Why? Because you can never have a change of nature until you meet the one who is love, the Lord Jesus. And what hung Jesus on the cross for sinners? Was it his power? What is his might? No, it was his love that hung him there. And in the face of his father's utter rejection, he loved you. So whether you're a great leader who's a believer in this church or you're one who just says, yeah, I'm not much, Paul says to you, do not measure yourself by your gifts, but measure yourself by what Christ has done for you. His love. And if you're looking on the outside saying, man, I want that. I want that. Then I want you to know that it was Jesus' love as he hung on the cross and he knew your name. And he says, you know what? You want that? I want you. <laughs> Believe. And you can begin to have a change of nature. And he gives you a new heart. And he gives you a key. And he says, this key is what turns the crank of all your gifts. Because Jesus is the key. Paul says Jesus is the key that provides true change for those of us who are in him. And over the next several weeks, we're just going to open this text up. We're going to walk through it. But you cannot begin to walk through verses 4 to 7, talk about what love is. You jump to it. You want to jump to it until you see verses 1 to 3. Because it says it doesn't matter how stinking gifted you may be if you don't have the key you are nothing. So let's pray for each other over these weeks. And if you're here and you've never had a change of heart, then may you by the power of the Holy Spirit believe even today. And next week, next week come again to hear more about it and run to us to the Lord's table. Let's pray together. Father, we pray that you will show us that your son is the key. He is love embodied. And would you help us to not take pride and glory in our gifts, but to recognize that all of our gifts, if they are not motivated, executed, done out of hearts that have been changed by the gospel, then they are like a clanging psalm or a, a gong or a clashing cymbal. They are nothing. So, Lord, would you help us as a church to be an incubator for love, to help people learn to use their gifts to help people try new things, experiment, all out of a joy of what you have done to change our nature, to make us new. And where there is spiritual pride, break it, please. And start with me and each of us. We pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information or would like to help support the local body of Trinity, please visit our website at trinityowasso.com.